welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me today, Sir Michael. Hello. And myself, Timothy. Hello. We're a book club for games. And today we are. Today, we are going to talk about... Disco Elysium. Will there be spoilers? There will be spoilers for Disco Elysium. There will be major, major spoilers. Everything will be spoiled. What's the game? It is a... I was going to say isometric. Is it technically isometric? I don't know. That kind of Baldur's Gate style, top-down-ish RPG look. It's all talking. There's no combat. Or, well, there is combat, but the combat is resolved through the talking system, not through a separate combat system. Actually, the funny thing is that Although it is this like fixed camera angle, you know, top downish style, it is actually all 3D. Like I think it is a fully 3D modeled space and it's just all textures, but you can't rotate or move the camera at all. And it has this it, it looks like hand painted. It's not super high poly, super high detailed. Like it looks like an impressionist painting. I actually really like the look. I think it works really well. It's a very unique look. So I made a comment to you. I asked you if the game was particularly blurry at the beginning. I don't think it was. So it just took me some time to get used to the art style. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, it reminds me of an impressionist painting. There are a lot of places where you might expect there to be hard angles, but I guess there aren't. Like, things blend together. Well, though, having said that, it is obviously Polygon, so there really is a hard angle there. It's just the whole look of the game. I don't know. It's going to turn out that you were running it at the wrong resolution or something, if you ask me. (laughs) If I had to guess. Did you play the same game of it without stopping? Because this was almost the book club game a year ago. Like, we almost did this for the book club game, like, last December. So did you continue your save game from that time? Yeah, you got this for me kindly, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I I forgot that. I did, actually, didn't I? Mm. This is why we had to play it, really. So I continued the game I had started previously. Were you playing it just a little bit throughout the year? Uh, No. Or you literally just picked it up again after like nine months? I just picked it up again after nine months. It's not like I knew what was going on anyway. You know, at the beginning, you have no idea. I guess so. I guess so. I don't know. I actually 
I picked up my save game and I played for like 20 minutes and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start again. I'm, I'm so confused, but you're right. It, it didn't actually help that much because yeah, the start of the game is very confusing as it's meant to be because RPGs are tough, right? You're meant to role play as this character and you're allowed to create the character to some greater or lesser extent but you don't know who this character really is you know like if the character's like 30 40 whatever years old you don't know what happened in their entire life so how do they handle that and in this game they handle it by you being blackout drunk like what's more blackout than blackout drunk like you are destroyed right (laughs) like the game starts with the ancient reptilian brain like growling is this really deep voice and he's like you're in the formless void whatever and then there's the limbic system which is like this high falsetto voice like no i can feel the and it's like it's all horrible and then you're dragged back to wakefulness in this completely trashed hotel room and you remember nothing, not even your name. And you step outside the door, you talk to this woman, you discover that you're a detective and you're here to solve a murder. Boom, start of game. So it's quite a small game world. Only one map, but it's very dense. However, the marketing said it's a a sandbox game. Is that right? An open world sandbox game? Is that what the marketing says? Because I, I was telling you, Mike, Mike, I need like 60 hours for this game, right? I kept telling you, like, it's bigger than we think. Number one, this is why marketing is snakes. Number two, yeah, the head designer of this game did say that, right? He said, it's like, it's a 60 hour game. It's a hundred hour game. It's so yeah. deep. There's so much depth that he really went for it. But how long to beat says 20-ish hours. You should just trust how long to beat. How long to beat's actually pretty accurate most of the time. And yeah, I mean, I reckon a reasonably thorough, not completionist, but reasonably thorough playthrough of it is about 20, 25 hours, which is pretty in line with how long to beat. Yep, sounds about right to me. So you mentioned earlier that it's a game about talking and no combat. I really love this. You don't have to exhaust every branch and everything is a role. And that's not true. I can't say that. Well, there, there's a lot of rolling going on in the background, actually. That's, that is the interesting thing, because there are some very explicit roles, like gameplay mechanics wise. There are white checks, which you can retry. Like, you know, if you try it and fail, it will become locked and you can unlock it by buffing the stat points or doing some other things. There are other things that can unlock white checks. And there are red checks where you get one shot at passing the skill check. So if you click on one of those, you actually get like a dice rolling sound and then it shows you the result of your dice roll and whether it was successful or not. But in addition to that, all the time during conversations it will be rolling the dice and checking them against your stats. And that will actually determine sometimes whether an aspect of your mind butts in with a fact or an opinion or whatever, or if it fails. Actually, sometimes if it fails, it causes an aspect of your mind to butt in. 
or you'll get different conversation options as a result, etc. And when you fail the white checks, you don't always take on a morale hit or a health hit. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, failing the white check sometimes just means you didn't do a thing. You know, like the one that sticks in my mind is that there's this blank wall near the apartment block and I can't remember, it's like legendary or even maybe even possible conceptualization check, like a white check when you look at this wall. And I kept trying and failing the concept. Every day I would go to this wall, look at it and click the white check and then fail the white check, you know, because you're looking at this blank canvas of the wall and trying to conceptualize this beautiful piece of art. But failing it doesn't, you know, damage you in any way. You just can't conceive of what should be painted on this wall. Having said that, there are other times when obviously you do take damage. Like there's a time when I try to jump off a wall and this is actually from my first save game that I ended up abandoning. I tried and then as I went to do the jump, you know, dice roll and I failed it. And then my character just like bottles it and took morale damage. And it was playing like this alarm sound and I didn't actually know what to do. Like, what you're meant to do is click on the little plus button to heal your morale. But I didn't know to do that. And my morale just went to zero. And I died. I mean, inverted commas died, because I didn't really die. I just, like, lost faith in myself and went mad. And it was game over. And I hadn't saved for, like, two hours. Anyway, whatever. I abandoned that whole save game anyway. So there are the checks. And then there's the passage of time, which is quite neat. Time doesn't happen in real time or in some scaled time. Time only moves when you're talking to someone. Time does move, right? If you're just standing around, time will pass. No, it won't. Really? Yeah. That's why you have to read a book or sit on a bench to force time to move. I did not know this. Are you sure? I'm, I'm very sure. Okay. This just goes to show I have no idea because there's a clock and time is passing and you know you need to get things done before certain times of day because you know people will go to bed or whatever. Like I was thinking like oh it's like Majora's Mask without the loop, you know, like there's like a time system and like after 9 p.m. the shopkeeper's gone to bed or something and I can't talk to them anymore. So I was running everywhere and actually the other funny thing is, I didn't realize that time advanced based on conversation options. I was actually clicking and reading really fast in order <laughs> for less real time to pass. I did eventually figure out that actually it was doing conversation stuff or reading a book or whatever that made time pass. But I thought time passed anyway, even if you weren't in a conversation. So that's news to me. And extending, you know, talking about time, there's a time when everyone goes to sleep, like you said, and then there's a time when your partner will go to sleep and you're left to your own devices, which was quite neat, I thought. That's when I did all the drugs. Did they mess you up? Yeah, they made my stats really good. <laughs> I mean, if this game didn't want me to take drugs, it shouldn't have given me a quest to take drugs. Like, I literally had three quests. 
find booze and drink it, find cigarettes and smoke them, find speed and snort it. Which brings me nicely to my next point. This game re-encourages you to take crazy action. Yeah, it, it actually says people are more forgiving when crazy things are done by authority figures like you. And I was just like, all right then. What I particularly like is how your partner, Kim, is quite sensitive to your wild actions. He does just go along with it. Actually, sometimes he will just like look disapprovingly, but he'll, he never stops you. There is nothing. Only warm, primordial blackness. Your conscious ferments in it. No larger than a single grain of malt. You don't have to do anything anymore. Ever. Never, ever. Never, ever, ever, baby. And an audience amount of time passes. It is utterly void of struggle. No ex-wives are contained within it. An awareness creeps up on you. A mass lies hidden in your dead angle, soaking in some lurid acidic... Let's talk about our builds. So did you go with one of the, the presets? Yes, because I had no idea what I was doing. Okay, so I went with a custom build. Because you thought you knew better? Yeah, I mean, you can't have one in something. You can't have one physique. Is that what you had? One physique? I guess so. Yeah, so I went with 4422. Intellect Psyche, Physique, and Motorics. So how, how, does, how does yours compare? Yeah, so I went with the predefined Thinker build, which is 5124. So I think the one is in Psyche, and the two is in Physique. So I could think good, and I was quite well coordinated, but Low morale? Low morale and low health, relatively. That sounds tough. It was easy. You can just keep chugging meds. I'm kidding. It was, <laughs> but it was... Did you die? Okay, I mean, easy is an exaggeration. And I did die, but then I yeeted that save game into oblivion and started again. Actually, funny enough, when I started again, I picked exactly the same start and I actually just probably did exactly the same things but at least i remembered them this time like the only thing i remember of that first run through was screwing up that jump and dying and losing two hours of progress because it's also before i learned there was a quick save button so what did you put most of your points into and do you have an idea of why you did that so i put most of my points into rhetoric empathy and physical instrument I needed empathy for Kuno, physical instrument because I needed to break down doors, and rhetoric because I needed to convince Titus to do something for me, maybe. Yeah, that sounds right. And you need authority for Titus also. Yes, potentially. Although what's funny is that your second highest skill, authority, is at seven points. My authority is at only one point. 
but I still somehow managed to muddle through. I mean, I think for a lot of the white skill checks in particular, well, actually in the red ones too, but the white ones, obviously you can retry. Either you can just get really lucky and, you know, like roll a critical success or you can just buff it in other ways. So for the Titus persuasion stuff, I think I just did loads of other things that won Titus over. Like either Everard just told Titus cooperate with this guy and that gave me like plus five to it for that particular check with Titus. Or, you know, I presented some other compelling evidence that made him doubt his position anyway. Like, I, you know, it was like some combination of those things that meant that my effective authority score just with Titus was actually quite high. Which is quite interesting because I thought, you know, when we compared these skills, they would come out looking very similar, but they, they've not. Which they're is they're really actually pretty much total opposites because, you know, my highest skills were logic and conceptualization, which were both eight, followed by perception and interfacing, which were seven. So I think those ones don't register on your stats like at all. And I, I don't think I kicked a single door in this game. I think I, like, I just unlocked everything or found another way around. You were smarter than me. Well, I did put all my points into thinking, so... That's quite interesting. Well, actually, another funny thing that I don't think either of us did. There's apparently a really funny like playthrough style you can do of this game where you put loads of points into, I think it's Inland Empire or something, but your tie, like there's, there's this horrific necktie that you can get right at the start of the game. Like it's, it's on the fan in your room and you have to stop the fan and retrieve the tie and put it on and if you have a high score i think in inland empire the tie will talk to you and it's almost like the tie is your partner not kim in the game or something i don't know but it seems neither of us did that it's just something i found out about later my tie did talk to me sometimes really did your tie not talk to you at all <laughs> i think i took the tie off because something else gave me better stats I probably did the same. Okay, so maybe it's actually just you should need to keep the tie on and the stats don't matter. But yeah, for stats reasons, I replaced the tie quite quickly. I don't think I got any of this stuff. It is cool, though, because like all of these things we're talking about points, they're like different aspects of your mind and they have different like portraits and almost like different. Well, it's not really different voices because I don't think these ones are voiced, but they do chime in in different ways You know, as you're having a conversation. And it's always not for the best as well. Sometimes you think, oh, I've invested many points into this skill and they're going to give me good advice. But sometimes they're like, idiot, why did you trust me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, we should do this. And then you do it and it goes really badly. And it's like, wow, I didn't expect that. <laughs> Shall we talk about achievements? Yeah. I think on the whole, there's a lot of overlap, but I've just put down the interesting one, which is I got literally the sorriest cop on earth for apologizing 10 times. But you, you legend, you got hyperstar law official. Say seven deranged superstar lines. What? Did, did you not get this one? No. This one's great. 
I didn't really work into the character as quickly. So I was some sorry cop for a long time until I got really comfortable in my own skin. So it's funny because I actually also started out as a sorry cop. Like, I think I said a few sorry lines and then some aspect of my mind chimed in and was like, hey, hey, we wanted to let you know we figured out your copotype. And I was like, my what? It's like, your copotype, what kind of cop you are? You're a sorry cop. And then you can like embrace this copotype and you get a thought that you can add to your thoughts cabinet for being a sorry cop. And I think I did internalize this thought, but it was kind of rubbish. I I definitely had more fun being the deranged rock star superstar cop. That was definitely the best. Because, I mean, yeah, basically the game is tracking all sorts of stuff. You know, include you know what kind of things you like to say, and you know I was the sorry cop. I was the deranged superstar. I was a communist for a bit. So. I think they called it like Mazovian economics or something. I said I said a whole bunch of communist things and then my brain chimed in and was like, hey, hey, do you want to be a communist? And then I embraced communism and it was rubbish. I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you experienced this too. When I internalized the communist thought, it gave me minus one authority, minus one visual calculus, and the only good thing was I got plus four XP for saying communist things. That's rubbish. A lot of the thoughts are rubbish, I feel. Well, you, you don't know that. It's funny because you don't know what you're going to get until you've internalized the thought. Like there's this whole system in the game where when you get 100 XP, you get a new like level up point and you can either put that point directly into one of your attributes like the ones we mentioned earlier like perception or authority or whatever or you can use it to open up a spot in your thoughts cabinet and you can internalize a thought that you have unlocked through you know dialogue or thinking about certain things in the game world so yeah i internalized this communist thought and it was rubbish and the problem with the thoughts is you know what the name of the thought is and you know what the penalty you get while you're in the process of internalizing the thought is, but you don't know what the eventual outcome of actually internalizing the thought will be. And so this communist one was a total bust. The funny thing is, after I became a communist, I found some shoes and the shoes, instead of being like plus one perception or plus one authority, they had plus one to indirect modes of taxation. And I was like, what's this? So I put on the shoes and it opened up this whole train of thought in my mind about how the only reason I wasn't rich was because I was being taxed in many ways by like the man, like, you know, by the government, the government's taxing me and that's why I'm not rich. And it basically allowed me to become like this ultra liberal capitalist. So I forgot about being a communist and I just became an ultra hardcore capitalist instead. And that was way more fun because every time I said something really capitalist, it just gave me money. Basically, like choosing a capitalist dialogue option would give me one real. That's quite good. 
So that's how I was able to pay for my hotel bill. And yeah, as mentioned, my favourite thought was some kind of superstar. So it has the downside of minus one logic because, you know, you have to maintain this delusion. But the delusion is that you're like this super rock star cop, that you're like, you know, amazing and everyone wants to be you. And it actually raises your skill caps in a whole bunch of different really useful skills. So did you have quite a full thought cabinet? Yeah, like I I put nearly all of my level up points into thoughts, which I think is like the opposite of you, right? Like the thought cabinet, when you get it, I think has three open spots. And then you have to spend a skill point every time you want to open another spot. And you surprisingly actually also have to spend a skill point if you want to forget a thought, because eventually you will fill the whole thing up and you're still getting more thoughts. And if you want to internalize a new thought, you've got to forget something else. And that costs you a skill point still. Yeah, I didn't like the whole mechanic. I thought there was just too much risk reward. I just thought it was fun. It was crazy. It it definitely goes against the way I normally play these games because I'm usually all about min-maxing. But this time, I just tried to roll with it. I just tried to be this like mad, drunken, on-speed superstar cop. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to memorize this thought. Who knows what's going to come out the other end? Whatever. One last thing. Let's talk about our dress. I think what we're going to say is going to be the same. So were you walking around without, with no shirt, no trousers, no shoes at the beginning? At the beginning, yes. Because the clothes in this game, they're all like plus to this or minus to that. And I think you're wearing some flares at the beginning. And the flare, like, you know, whatever your trousers are at the beginning, they penalize like, your physical ability. Like, you know, they, they buff your like fashion, but they're minus your ability to like jump or something. And so I had to like jump over a wall. And, and in fact, this is how I, you know, died that first time. And so knowing more about how the game worked this time around playing it, I took off my trousers and my shoes in order to make passing the skill check easier. And I guess towards, as you progressed in the game, you just wore what you needed. Well, to pass the yes, check. which was generally the freaking power armor. Like I, I just, I was wearing the ceramic armor for quite a chunk of the game. For But yeah, you're right. I would swap in whatever I needed for empathy, for logic, you know. It was quite a chore, actually, because I would, I would talk to someone, I'd see I had to pass a skill check, I'd make some excuse to get out of the conversation, that I'd switch my clothes around and then I'd come back in again.
Should we move on to highlights? I think one of the greatest moments in the game happens really near the start of the game. Basically, you've trashed your hotel room and you're talking to the hotel manager and he wants you to pay, you know, 140 real, the tab, right? So it's the cost of your room plus the cost of repairing the window plus the cost of the drinks that you ordered. And there's a red skill check to just run away. And when you run away, you don't just like scarp or like whoop, 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 and run away. You dash away and then you flip round and you flip him the bird with both of your hands. And as you're like jumping backwards and swearing at him, you crash into this lady in a wheelchair. And then, you know, when he comes over to talk to you, because obviously you didn't get away. You're just like, I'm not paying for the bloody window or the drinks. And he's so embarrassed that you've just like done this and like, you know, knocked over this lady in a wheelchair that he's like, okay, fine, fine. Just, just pay the 60 for the room. Just pay for the room. And you get out of 80 real of your bill straight away. That's brilliant. Did you do that? No, I didn't do that. <laughs> what? Okay. It's a great moment. <laughs> I was trying to... I didn't know what was going on. I just wanted to fit in at the beginning. I, I was... You know, my character is clearly an absolute disaster. I felt it was the most appropriate in-character thing to do. Did you talk to René and Gaston? I did not. In fact, on day five, I actually got, you know, secret task completed... Never talk to Rene and Gaston. Because, <laughs> you know, when you're walking down the street, you get a little thought bubble pop up. Actually, that's a cool mechanic we didn't even mention. You know, as you're walking around, you will sometimes just get like colored circles around your head, which are just thoughts you're having. And when you click on them, you'll like let that thought come to the surface. So as I was walking around, I got a thought, I clicked on it. And then I said to Kim, hey, where are those two guys? And then Kim basically says, you know, they have lives. They're probably doing something else today. And then it was like, boom, secret task complete. Never talk to Rene and Gaston. But even the secret task mechanic is quite cool as well. There's many cool mechanics in this game. <laughs> we probably should have mentioned them all up front, but too bad. They're just sprinkled throughout. So Rene and Gaston are playing balls? Yeah. So I found myself in this ridiculous position where one of the thoughts in my head wanted me to shot put one of these balls. And this was the result of a white check. So I thought I'd done something right. I really thought I was doing the right thing. But it turns out I just shot put this batonk ball. And I just threw away one of the balls that Gaston and Rene were playing with, which I thought was hilarious. I just shot put it into the ocean. What? <laughs> and they're not happy about this, I guess. <laughs> no. But it's so brilliant because I thought it was a white check. And I thought Harry, who is the protagonist, knew what he was doing. But actually, it wasn't. he had no idea. Harry's a disaster. He definitely does not know what he's doing. 
I guess it's funny though. It's like an intrusive. You know, have you heard about intrusive thoughts? You know, as like a thing in in real life, right? Where to, to use an example that this is not an intrusive thought I had, but one that <laughs> I don't know why they told me this. Like a friend told me they once had this thought, and like you know, this sort of thing happens to people all the time, and usually you just suppress it. But like this friend was just like he told me he was in a supermarket. And he was in like the drinks aisle and he was holding this really big, hefty bottle of like Ribena, like, you know, one of those big, like two or three litre bottles of Ribena concentrate. And he saw an old lady at the end of the aisle and he was like, I could just bowl this (laughs) bottle of Ribena down the aisle and knock over this old lady. And, And he was like, no, I should not do that. Why would I even think that? But he obviously thought it was quite a funny idea because he told me about it later. Anyway, it's like that. You're not supposed to pass those white checks. I hope your real life judgment is better. No, not really. I think it's how you measure success, right? It's one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Something else I liked. You have to pay for the accommodation. So... I like how solutions appear out of nowhere when you think you've exhausted the the obvious choice. Something else will come out and save you. So for me, when I had to pay for the accommodation, I needed Kim's help. He's the one who paid for me. Is this on day one? This is on day one, yeah. When you said Kim helped you pay, did he just give you the money? No, he, we sold the spinners. Yeah, okay, cool. I was just checking. Because yeah, Kim... Because I, I was short by like one real, but I only had to pay 60 and I had like 59. So Kim told me about the spinners, but I was like, no, no, it's cool. I'm going to fix it myself. And Kim was just like, all right, man. Well, they'll be here when you need to sell them. But I actually just pawned a postcard that I'd found and then I had enough money. In hindsight, I should totally have sold the spinners because then I would have had more money. But at the time, I, I felt like, no, I'm going to do this properly. Actually, I don't think there was any benefit from doing it without Kim's help. What is the novelty check that you're referring to here? Oh, OK. So part of the reason I had almost enough money is that Everart offered me... So Everart's the union boss. And he offered me this giant novelty check. He was like, oh, well, I can help you out of your accommodation. And he hands me over this giant novelty check, which is only worth 25 real. And I think, actually, to be honest, I think Kim isn't too pleased that you take the giant novelty check. He's like, you're taking a bribe. But it was only 25 real. But at the same time, is that even worse, taking a really tiny bribe? <laughs> I don't know. So I quite like the writing. There are some phrases or, yeah, there's some lines I liked a lot. So at the end of the first night stream, it finishes with time to go to work in the shit factory, which I thought sums up his state Being of mind. awake in general? <laughs> yes. Is, is this line voiced? I don't know. I, I'm trying to remember as well, like whether it's said by the limbic system or by the ancient reptilian brain, because I'm sure it's not delivered like the way you said it. <laughs> oh, no, yes. You should do it, Mike. Sorry. <laughs> I should let you do it. <laughs> No, no, no. I'll pass. But yeah, there are some great lines in this game. 
I'll do another one. I really like the torch implementation. Yeah. It's it's a funny one, right? Because you can equip tools to put in your left or right hand. And one of them is the torch. So, you know, if you're not holding the torch, you don't get like the interactivity like pop-ups when you're in a dark place. And also, I guess the torch shows that it's a real 3D space, not like a fake 3D, like, you know, the old Baldur's Gate games. It really is like polygons and stuff because it really is lighting up the space. Yeah, and I ended up carrying it a lot of the time. Really? Yeah, I didn't need to. I, I only... I only carried it when I absolutely needed to in a dark place. So what did you keep in your hands? Plastic bag and torch. Oh, okay. I kept the plastic bag and the... Was it boom bolt box. cutters? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the boom box. No. I, I, I got to admit, that would be funnier, but no. Oh, a crowbar, isn't it? It's a crowbar I'm thinking of. Yep. The thing to open locked crates. Yep. Kuno. Kuno. What, what, what the hell accent is it anyway? It's like Northern or South African or something. Northern? Kuno. I, you know what? I really hated Kuno and then I really liked Kuno eventually. Kuno is just like this insane character. He's like this ginger kid who's just like off his head on speed and is just like completely mad. But in the end, in the end, I grew to like him. I did also punch him in the face. <laughs> but I did it when Kim was not around, so I didn't get Kim's disapproval. And your relationship improved as a result? I think it did. I think it did. I was trying to talk to him about something else, and then the check to punch him in the face just came up, and I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm not sure why. Because Kim wasn't around. I think Kim was around when that one popped up for me. I don't think I even needed to. It was so unnecessary. I think I was, I think I was actually trying to pass the empathy. This, this is even worse, isn't it? It's like, it's like the shot part thing again. Like, I was trying to pass the empathy check with Kuno because it was quite a difficult empathy check. And because it was convenient, I went to talk to him at night when Kim wasn't around because I was doing it at the same time as trying to sort out, you know, the armoured boots, which is a whole other story, which we don't really need to go into. But the empathy check wasn't there. And instead, I just ended up on this conversation trail where I had to punch Kuno in the face. So I did. I mean, I guess I didn't have to, but I did. And it worked out. Anyway, whatever. I liked Kuno in the end, so it's all good. I have another line. This time from Joyce. I'm not sure if it's voiced. Do you know? Do you know if it's voiced? No, I don't Do you want to voice it, it for me? I don't think it's voiced. And no, I'm not going to voice it for you. This place is so pornographically poor, it's not even funny. I found that really fitting for this snobby negotiator. Yeah, because she's really rich. Like She's on her own private yacht. And she's like the yacht is berthed at like this slum. The car? I really like the car. I walked past the car several times without actually investigating it that thoroughly. 
Yeah, so it's a car in a ditch. And you think, idiot, who put the car in a ditch? Well, I mean, to be honest, the whole area on the west side of the map is kind of a desert. I mean, the whole place is kind of like a slum, but it's like the west side of the map is even worse, right? There's like this decrepit fishing village and whatever. So like this half submerged car doesn't even look that out of place, in my opinion. But yeah, there's like this wrecked car in a ditch. But if you go to investigate the car... It tells you that, you know, it's like submerged underwater and you need to wait for the tide to go out. And it says, you know, you have to sit here for half an hour and watch it. So, you know, you say, okay, fine. So you're sat on some swings and you're talking to Kim about stuff. And, you know, you're having some heart to heart with Kim and it's going quite well. And then Kim is like, oh, detective, I think I see a number on that car. He's like, yeah, it's a, it looks like a 41. Yeah. What do you think that stands for? It's like, oh. 41, that's my precinct. So, oh no! Because <laughs> then you realise it's your car. You, you basically then recall that during your drunken bender, you drove your car into the sea. And in fact, the whole reason the west side of the map was inaccessible is because someone drove their car into a sign or something and knocked it into the water lock, which prevented it from closing. And then obviously drove their car into the sea. So you are actually the whole reason why the whole west of Martinez was cut off. And actually, when you talk to people, you can either proudly admit that or just go, yeah, for some reason, the water lock was broken which is actually what I did. I didn't fess up that, like, yeah, I drove my car into it. Nor did I. Is there only one boombox? As far as I know, yes. What price did you get the boombox for? I think I negotiated it down really cheap. To 4 e outright? It's for the lowest. I'm not sure I went that low, but I got it, I got it for less than he was asking. Maybe it was four. Four is the lowest. And he gets away with it. I thought that was brilliant. He's got he's talking out of his arse. <laughs> he's just said, I'm not just doing any police work. I've got the door gunner megamix here. An era defining work. Let's do four real. And the pawn shop owner takes it. And what makes it more brilliant, he holds the boom box on his shoulder. Yeah, like because you need the boombox to play the door gunner mega mix so you can actually, you know, hear the conversation from, you know, the merc that got hanged. You know, I just realized we didn't talk at all about what's going on in the game. We'll get to that. But yeah. You walk around with the boombox on your shoulder, blaring out the tunes. And at, you know, at the very end of the game as well, you put the boombox on the boat, right? Oh, maybe did you do that? That's what happened for me. Sad FM. Sad. I don't. I don't think it was sad FM for me. It was like some no. rocking tunes. I went sad FM because I'm a sorry. I don't know. Because you're a sorry cop. <laughs> is that is that what's happened? Don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. You know what? That would make sense. That's really funny. I hadn't considered that. But I guess by the end of the game, I was a rock star cop, and that's why I put on the rocking tunes. And you were a sad cop, so you put the sad ones. So, retrieving your gun, 
Yeah. So you're told that the pigs has your gun, and you're told to meet the pigs. To meet them at ten ten p.m. one evening. But the pigs character is deranged. Yeah, I always like who or what is the pigs? Is it is it more than one person? But the pigs is one person. I think what made it even weirder for me is that I got there early and decided I needed to pass the time. So I was reading a children's book and it was like A is for Apple or something. And then the next you know moment I clicked next and suddenly like woo, it's like siren noises and there's this deranged woman with like flashing police lights on her back and she's like 10-4, 10-4, officer down and she's like waving a gun around. And that the gun she's waving around is the one you is your gun. It's right? your gun. <laughs> and I did a terrible job of negotiating her down. She fired the gun. Yeah, same. <laughs> I also did it. Was the gun loaded? It wasn't loaded in my case. Yeah, it wasn't loaded for me either. I was I was just then, wanted to check. I was a bit confused. It was just but yeah, I completely failed to negotiate with her. And she just like points the gun at you and pulls the trigger and nothing comes out. And then she's just like, what is this trash? And throws it on the ground. Oh, that was a brilliant scene. I jumped. I thought something bad had happened. Yeah, because Kim almost shoots her, right? Like Kim's pointing his gun at her because obviously he doesn't know the gun's not loaded. Yep. And it just turns out she's some depressed and slightly mad woman. All right. So a few more random ones from me. I really liked the pale as a concept. Like, one of the things that happens after you wake up and, you know, you're so blackout drunk, you've forgotten everything. You know, you not only have you forgotten your name and facts about yourself, you've forgotten facts about, like, the world as well. And you get a mission to find out about the nature of reality from a rich person, because rich people know what's going on. It's actually kind of funny. And so the richest person you can find, I guess, is Joyce. And if you start to ask her about the pale, Kim actually stops you. He doesn't want you to find out about the pale. So this is another one of those things I had to do after Kim had gone to bed. And the pale is crazy. Like, up until this point, I thought that this was set in some, like, fictional future bit of earth or something but it is not it's some completely mad alternate universe it's not even alternate universe it's like different rules of the universe place right because like the pale is like the absence of reality and like the isola isn't just like some islands on the planet like literally they're just some islands hanging in this void that is the pale and there's like travel between these bubbles of reality. It's like crazy. So that's when I realized like, wow, the world building in this game is really ambitious. And it was a big surprise as well. I'm not sure if I talked to Joyce about this. Oh, really? So you didn't find out about the nature of the pale? No. Interesting. Well, it was quite a revelation for me, I can tell you. And then actually... Turns out there is someone richer than Joyce. So there's a shipping container in the harbour. And, you know, you can lower the shipping container because it's like, you know, on a crane. And you can get it back to ground level and try and open it. But the pry bar won't open it. And 
there's like an impossible level rhetoric check to try and open the container. And Kim is like, there's nothing in the container. Just accept it. There's nothing in there. But I managed to pass this check somehow. And inside the container is a guy who is so rich that he distorts time and space. Actually, you know what? This doesn't even seem that far-fetched after hearing about the pale. Maybe this is completely normal for this universe. But yeah, the guy is so rich that you can't even see him. It's like like, this twist of like brightly coloured lights. And as you walk towards it, your net worth like skyrockets because of like, you know, the wealth gradient between you. And he's just talking about how, you know, the problem with being so ultra rich is that people are always asking you for money. And so the most comfortable way to travel is just to stand in a shipping container and get shipped to your destination (laughs) or something. It's just like, what? And you can mention this to Everard, but he just doesn't believe you. He just thinks you're insane. Which actually is probably a fairly reasonable assumption given all the other things you do. Oh, and of course... Another great moment is the tribunal. But we should probably talk about that next. pick our way through the story at least sort of our progress yeah the key story moments and how we dealt with them so game starts you're blackout drunk you're here to solve a murder the body is still hanging from a tree so one of the mercenaries hired by Wild Pines, the company that owns the harbour, was lynched and their body is still hanging from a tree behind the hotel where you're staying. So you need to go and talk to the union boss because all of the harbour workers are currently on strike. And you think that the union boss is going to have something to say about whether, well, whether the union lynched this guy, right? Because that's what everyone thinks. So you need to get into the harbour, but the harbour is blocked because of the strike. So, how did you get into the harbour? I spoke to Measurehead. So Measurehead is like this huge, muscly guy guarding the button that opens the gates to the harbour. And I had to listen to his teachings and I had to internalise advanced race theory. Yeah, it's funny. Measurehead is like a racist, right? He's a Seminese supremacist. Is that right? Yeah. So once I internalized advanced race theory, that was it. He was on my side. Is this a thought that goes in the thought cabinet? It is. Interesting. So you didn't do it this way. You you no, took I, all I the actually, thoughts. I 
So I just by coincidence, while exploring behind the hotel, you know, where the body is, I found like a panel covering a door into like a secret shack. It turns out that later on, this is actually Kuno's secret hideout. And there's a ladder from there that leads to the roof. And from there, you can jump off the roof down into the harbor, which is where I had to keep trying to pass the skill check. So I got into the harbor via that way. And then when I came out of the harbor, I found myself on that, you know, massive gate with Measurehead. And I was talking to Measurehead and I was super confused because like, why am I talking to this guy? Why do I need to learn advanced race theory? I can already come and go from the harbour. I've got a union card now because, you know, Everock gives you a union card after you get in. But yeah, so I didn't actually do the whole Measurehead side quest, funnily enough. So at the end of the first day, Kim, we sort of have a debrief. Yeah, that's right. Which I liked. We don't do it every day. Anyway, he comments... What's with all the running? I do run a lot. But then you mentioned that Kim made the same comment for you. Yeah, because, you know, in this game, you can click and you walk or you can double click and you'll run. And of course I'm going to run because it's a game. I don't want to wait around. Also because I thought time passed, but maybe it doesn't. (laughs) I thought it was really funny that Kim comments, you know, hey, why do you run everywhere? You know, I'm assuming he only says this if you do run everywhere. Like if you walk everywhere, he won't say it. Maybe I don't know. Or maybe the you know the game designers are just assuming everyone's going to run, so that he always says it. Who knows? But for me, you know, I told Kim, oh, it's it's just how we do things in Jamrock. It's the Jamrock shuffle because I, I think Jamrock is your precinct, your normal precinct. Kim also noted for me that I didn't wear shoes. He didn't comment on my lack of trousers. <laughs> I was probably wearing the shoes that gave me the, the thoughts about taxes at this point. I don't know. But he, he didn't comment on my lack of shoes because I was wearing shoes. So let's talk about Everard. Yeah, when you do meet him. I thought it was quite good. I thought it was excellent. Because he makes you sit in this chair, right? He's like, oh, please have a seat. And if you're like, oh no, I prefer to stand, he's like, well, I guess we won't be talking then. I, I can't talk to a man who's not sat down. Is that what he says? Yeah, like I tried really hard to not sit down and he just refused to talk to me. So I had to sit down and the chair is torture, right? Like the chair damages your health. And then he also mentions your missing gun. And yeah, up until that point, I had forgotten, like everything else, that I had a gun. And at the mention of like, oh yeah, where's your gun? You know, you have to roll to see whether you take damage, like mental health damage. There's a composure check because you're coming to terms with the fact that you've lost your gun. And I failed that. I took another hit. I really enjoyed losing health this way. (laughs) (laughs) This is also when you find out your name. Yes. Because up until this point, you don't actually know what your name is. But he's like, Harry! And you're like, oh, I guess my name's Harry. (laughs) Okay. So, at this point, things kind of open up and become a bit more freeform. 
the key objectives you're meant to do, I guess. You've got to get the body down. You've got to do an autopsy. And then, of course, you've got to try and figure out who killed him. And why. And basically, there's this group of people called the Hardy Boys, who are like the enforcers of the union. Or effectively, they're like the local law enforcement too, because like the police rarely come to this part of town. And they admit it, right? They're like, yeah, we killed him. All of us. Are you going to arrest all of us? We hung him because he raped this woman. And it turns out it's the woman that you talk to right at the very start of the game. So that's their story. And so it seems like it should be an open and shut case. But you've still got to get the body down and do the autopsy and talk to the witnesses or talk to whoever you can and try and find out what happened. So that's the next bit of the game. So how did you get the body down? I got Measurehead to help me. And because you had internalised advanced race theory, he was just cool to help you. Yeah, but more importantly, because we both missed our shots. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So you tried to shoot the body down? Yes. Okay. So I actually managed to shoot the body down using Kim's gun. Which is lucky, because I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't managed it. It's also funny, because when you start talking to the other people involved, loads of people are not who they first appear to be. So, like, the gardener on day one, who's just, like, sitting out in the cold, turns out to not be a gardener, but she's, in fact, the legal counsel for the union, Elizabeth. And then, Classier, is that how you say it? I know it actually says how to pronounce the name on one of the loading screens. I'm going to say Classier. I don't know if that's correct or not. That's what the loading screen says. She is a spy, but maybe she's lying about how big of a spy she is. Yeah. Like she suggests that she did some light industrial espionage and now her former employer is chasing her down. Maybe she's actually some kind of super spy or something. And this is just one of her many cover stories. But regardless, you find out she's not quite who she appears to be. Like she's not just like this party girl. And she says that she wasn't raped by the Merc. She says that she and the Merc were just partying together. That was normal for them. And eventually, you can discover, I think we both did this, that the Merc wasn't actually hanged. He was shot. And the hanging was staged. To cover up the fact that he was shot. So this is crazy and kind of far-fetched actually. It seems. Or it's like it's like the opposite of Occam's razor, right? Like, it seems pretty obvious. There's a whole bunch of witnesses to this guy being strung up from a tree. And there's a whole bunch of people that tell you they did it. And the initial autopsy you do, it looks like he was hanged, right? There's like contusions and whatever that are consistent with him dying by hanging. So Occam's razor would say, that's what happened. But there's a really high skill check that you can just keep retrying to just keep checking. Something seems off. There's something else about this body. And the game keeps telling you that there's no reason to do the skill check, but the presence of the skill check makes you want to do the stupid skill check. I don't know how else they could have handled it 
from a game mechanics point of view. Isn't it one of your internal voices helps you here? Maybe not. It might do if you have the right one to a sufficient level. But I think it's some like legendary or impossible tier perception check. I don't know. It is a perception check, yeah. And if you manage to pass it, you find a bullet, basically. You can you can find that he was shot like in the mouth. So that's why there's no obvious entry wound, because it's like in his mouth. And yeah, he didn't die by hanging. He died by being shot in the head. And then, well, and then the whole investigation changes into why are they trying to cover it up? And you discover there's an eighth hardy boy who's actually a hardy girl and maybe she's the real leader of them, not Titus. At this point, I actually went and just did loads of cool side quests. So I don't know how many of these you did. I mean, to be honest, I did more than just this. There was, there was crazy stuff like finding the mystery of the doomed commercial area, finding the hole in the world, setting up the anodic dance club, finding your heraldic bird which was a f***up a two. It's like, it's like a cockatoo, but it's a f***up. Finding another dead body. Oh, yeah. Or assisting the cryptozoologists with the search for the Insulidian phasmid. But then the next main story mission... I, actually, I guess this one isn't mandatory, but getting your gun back. So for this one, you need to get two signatures for Everart. Yeah, and I wanted to understand the impact of your choice here. Yeah, because it, it sounds like, you know, get these two signatures and they're going to build like a community centre. It's like a good thing. But then if you look at the contract, you're like, oh, but the building work's going to be really noisy. So effectively, you're going to force these people out of their homes. I don't know. You, you can read it either way. Like, is it good or bad? Regardless. Everard wants you to get the signatures of these two people from the fishing village. Or you can fake the signatures. But what's the consequence? I don't think there's a consequence either way. As long as you have convincing signatures, whether they're fake or real, quest complete, and he sets up the meeting with the pigs. Okay. It's just on your conscience whether you think it's better to get real signatures or get fake ones. Do you remember what you did? I got other people to sign the form. Oh. Who? Mm, the dudes southeast of the two ladies. Oh, you mean the, the ones that will sell you drugs and stuff? Yep. Interesting. I didn't even consider that as an option. But cool. So I actually talked to the ladies who you're meant to get to sign it. And one of them just signed it. And I was like, wait, why did you sign it? And she was like, oh, should I not have signed it? And you're like, no. <laughs> and she's like, well, you know, Lisa's the one with the brains. Talk to her. Is it Lisa? I don't know. The other lady. And she refuses to sign. I think there's some like really hardcore skill check you can try and pass to get her to sign it. But I was like, you know what? I don't really want you to sign this anyway. So... She was letting me stay for free in her, like, one of her cabins. So I just went in there and faked her signature and then posted it. And then sort of at this point, this was 
day four or day three? Day three. I only, I only had nine quests left. Sort of everything started collapsing at this point. Did you experience this? I mean, maybe easy for you. I had like a million side quests. Even by the end of day three, day three. I think day three and day four is when I cleaned up a lot of side quests. I think I like I did mostly side quests and just advanced the main plot quests relatively slowly because I didn't get the tribunal. I didn't find Ruby until day five, like the morning of day five, pretty much. But that's when I had time to, you know, set up a dance club and all this other stuff. Actually, I wanted to know, how late did you stay up? Relatively late. Oh, actually, no, maybe, no, maybe not that late. It was like 11-ish most days. I think one of the days I went to sleep at nine, actually, because I couldn't advance any of the quests just because everyone else had gone to bed. But I think usually 11-ish. Okay, so you didn't push the boundaries. You, you don't know what the limit is. I think the limit is like 2am, but I didn't test it. I also wondered, does your lack of sleep affect your what you, how you dream, what you dream? Yeah, I mean, obviously I don't know. I suspect not, but this game is full of surprises, so... Okay, let's talk about Ruby. I think the funny thing when you find Ruby, is that you discover you are a famous cop. Because, you know, I, I at this point was this deranged rock star cop. Like, I was delusional and convinced that I was, like, a famous rock star cop. And when I ran into Ruby, and she was scared of being caught, not by, you know, the RCM, the police, she was scared about being caught by me individually. Because I was famous. I mean, she did think I was famously corrupt and in the pocket of this drug lord, which is maybe not true. But it's interesting to discover that your character is actually famous. And then Ruby will either get away or shoot herself. So this is actually one of the very rare moments when I reloaded. Because I didn't really finish talking to ruby and i just clicked something and then she shot herself and i was like wait what i wanted to ask about why she thought i was in the pocket of this drug lord so i actually reloaded so i could talk to her again and it just so happened that when i reloaded she didn't shoot herself i passed some skill check and she ran away and i just went with it so that's why i know those are the two options what happened for you no, she ran away. I let her run. I wanted her to run away. Yeah. I mean, you can't arrest her. If you try and stop her from running away, she'll shoot herself. So, And then after the encounter with Ruby, when you head back towards the hotel, the tribunal happens. So that's the standoff between the mercs hired by Wild Pines and the Hardy Boys from the Union. And this scene is like wild, like it's really tense. And it's like the only real combat in the game. Like, you know, you depending on what you say here or what you know, like how good the investigation was, different people will survive or be killed. And, you know, I wasn't safe scumming this game. I was just going with it in general. 
So I had some really weird outcome. How was yours? Even if you are safe scumming it, I'm not sure I would know what the best outcome would be. Right? I mean, I really thought it was rigged. Like, I actually, I have a save game from just before the tribunal, like, triggers. And I have since gone back and replayed it just to see what some of the other things that can happen are. And it has played out completely differently. So it's not really rigged. But I was convinced it was rigged when I did that first playthrough because I had a bunch of like 60, like high 60s, high 70s, high 80s skill checks and they all failed. And then I had a red skill check for like 20 something percent and it succeeded. And I was like, what is this game? Like, I do know that something that's 20% is still going to happen one in five times. So it's not that surprising. And again, like something that's 80% is still going to fail one in five times. So it's not that surprising that these things happen. But it still felt really weird to me that all of my high probability things failed. And the one really low probability thing that I really needed to get right, well, actually it passed. So for me, I tried to convince the mercs that you know the hardy boys hadn't done it and yeah you know talk them down a bit but they didn't believe me and they shot elizabeth and then i had this like 20-ish percent chance to shoot courty in the face and i did it i just shot him in the face stuff happens kim manages to shoot rude like the guy with the long rifle and then I get shot in the leg by Corti as he's bleeding out. I'm on the ground. I can see the other Merc, DePaul, is going to shoot Kim. And I try and warn Kim. And this is basically like an 87% to pass skill check. And it fails and Kim gets shot. And I wake up two days later and Kuno is my partner. But what about all the Hardy boys? Some of them get shot. Some of them survive. Like, Glenn definitely gets shot. Elizabeth got shot. I can't, re- I can't remember the exact number. It's like five or maybe seven. I think five people die and seven people are gunned down because that includes me and Kim, technically. We both got shot. So I think Courty dies. I think Rude dies. Elizabeth got shot. Glenn got shot. Maybe one or two other people too. I, I don't remember. I don't even remember if Titus survived, honestly. It's kind of like a mid-level bloodbath. It's like not a total disaster, but it's still pretty bad. Okay. I didn't realise I, I counted. So I got shot twice in the leg and in the chest. I saved Kim. In my scenario, seven people were gunned down. I know Titus died. I know Elizabeth died. I'm not too sure what happened to the Mercs. Because I didn't realise... You counted yourself as one of the guys getting gunned down. Well, I'm not sure. I gotta admit, I didn't actually write this down. So I know it's five Hardy Boys and two I don't knows. Two Mercs or one Merc plus myself. So you didn't dodge the shot from Rude, the guy with the rifle? No, I didn't. Interesting. Every time I've played it, I've actually dodged the shot. Although. I was also wearing the ceramic armor, and apparently that means that even if I didn't dodge the shot, it would actually just bounce off me. So, 
I think I didn't actually even need to dodge that shot, but whatever. I still can't believe that I failed that skill check and Kim got shot and Kuno was my partner. But I was like, well, I'm not going to reload it because I'm just rolling with it. And also, seriously, what are the chances of Kuno being my partner? This is actually hilarious. But that's one of the good things about this game. I don't know what a good outcome is most of the time. Actually, to rewind a bit, you didn't shoot Corti because you couldn't shoot Corti, right? That's right. So you found your gun, but you didn't have any bullets? No, I didn't have any bullets. I didn't equip the gun, so I did ask you, did I, was, did I make a mistake by not equipping the gun? And you said no. So yeah, I, I put the gun in my hand, but apparently it doesn't actually have to be in your hand. If it's your inventory and you have a bullet, that's enough. Actually, it's kind of funny. In one of the times when I replayed the tribunal, you know, since finishing the game, I missed the shot at Corti. And I just, you get the option just to throw your gun at him. <laughs> you take the shot, it misses. And then you just like, Neh! you just throw the gun at him and it bounces off his chest. And then you get shot. <laughs> okay, let's, let's finish up. So, finally, you realise that the only place the shot could have come from is this island. So you get a boat to the island, and there is a guy who has been living on this island for 44 years. Like, since the revolution failed, he's still just stayed on this island. This is crazy. Like... Is this satisfying? Did we miss something? What, what do you mean? Was there a clue along the way that we missed? I mean, I think there are hints that the killer is from this island, right? Because there are some flowers that only grow on the island and there's a bunch of them on the roof. And how did they get there? And, and I'm guessing you found this too, the secret... Did you find the secret pinball repair room? Uh, yes. Yeah, and there's the footsteps there and you're trying to figure out whose footsteps they are. And it's none of the characters that you've talked to. So I guess it's implying that it's someone else. But it still seems weird to me to introduce this new character like just before the end of the game and they're the murderer. And like their motive is that there's some old dude who's been there for 44 years and they were lusting after Classia and they decided to shoot the Merc. Right? Like that's their motive. And it's just like, what? That's an amazing shot as well. Like, it's hundreds of meters with like a, an antique rifle. I don't know. It seems very far-fetched, but it's a game. I mean, it's a, with all the other insane stuff that happens, I guess it's fine. There is one cool thing I liked, actually. There's an unexplained mystery about how Everett and Edgar Clare became you know, the heads of the union because the previous union rep just disappeared one day. And this guy very strongly implies that Edgar came to him like years ago and convinced him to shoot the previous union rep because, you know, she didn't embody communist principles and she deserved to die. She was like a ultra-liberal 
plant or something. And so he talks about how, you know, he was looking through the scope and then he saw a bullet hit her and she fell into the harbor and was never seen again. He's like, did you shoot the bullet? And he's like, oh, I'm, I didn't say that. I just said I saw a bullet hit her and I was looking through the scope. He's like, hmm. And I may have talked to Edgar, you know, he may have told me that she deserved to die. So I guess that's a nice connection. Yeah, and, there's, and then there's one final twist at the end, which is the phasmid is real. The cryptid that Lena and the cryptozoologist and whatever we're all searching for is real. And it just shows up at the end of the game. And that's the other reason why this guy's been living on this island and is slightly mad, because he's been affected by the chemicals given off by the phasmid. And you have this strange psychic conversation with the phasmid. Is this good? Is this good writing? It's not bad writing. It's not good writing. I don't know. I did. I did like it. I, you know, I think I would have been disappointed if the phasmid hadn't been real. If the whole thing was just like this delusion, no, mate. given all the other wacky stuff that happens. But I'm also really sad because Kuno doesn't have a camera, and so there's no evidence that the phasmid exists. For me, for you, I guess you had Kim. I did have Kim. Did Kim take a picture? He did take a picture. So I'm guessing things at the very end play out quite differently. Because there's like a little epilogue afterwards, right? You you get the guy to confess that he took the shot. You get the motive from him. You take the boat back. And then you meet the other people. You meet these other people who you've actually encountered in the game before. And they're just like, yeah, we're actually your squad. Like, you just completely forgot about us. And they kind of debrief you. And you have to convince them that you're not totally insane and that you deserve to be a cop. I mean, in my case, it was quite a hard sell, but I think I managed it. So, you know, I convinced them that not only did I deserve to be a cop, I solved the case and Kuno should be a cop as well. And did they support that? Yeah, they were cool with it. I was very persuasive. So your crew mentions that we let Classier and Ruby escape. So we mentioned that Ruby has to escape. Well, I mean, she'll kill herself if she doesn't. And what about Classia? I have read on a wiki that if she is arrested by you, some agents come and, you know, secretly kill her or take her away. Because, you know, she is actually some kind of spy. But you had you had no trouble convincing them, right, that you should be a cop? Mm, no trouble. Kim backed you up, I guess. Yes, he did. And you had the photo to prove that you weren't insane about the giant insect. Yep. Yeah, that was a hard sell for me. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I keep meaning to actually follow through with the tribunal and have Kim not get shot and see what the actual ending is like with Kim. But I haven't done it yet.
Anyway, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. It is... It's strange, actually. It's not doing anything new in a way, right? Like, there's nothing mechanically in there that couldn't have been done before. But it is a new spin on it. Like, it's not new technology. But it's really going in on the whole dialogue and embodiment and like representation of thoughts in a way that games generally don't do right like this game gets compared to planescape torment which is another game where there's a lot of dialogue you're a blank slate character and people also really react to you and remember what you did and so on and like this game this game is like a real true successor to that in a sense like you know things like the thought bubbles like representing incidental thoughts or like smells that trigger a memory and stuff like that is a really interesting system it does an excellent job at representing or embodying the mental state of your character i thought definitely much better than torment of numenera yep it's quite easy to play is that all you got to say <laughs> no you know what i want to say it's not it's not a hard game it's not a it's not like an RPG where like, oh, I lost this fight. I got hit by a fireball and I have no health, right? Like even when you're running out of health, like because you got shot, right? It's not like you die or you've got like two seconds to click the button. Like you get this alarm sound and your health is like going down really slowly and you can just leisurely go over a boop and heal yourself. So in that sense, it's an easy game to play mechanically. Yeah, you can't lose, and it's almost like a, I don't know, at points it felt like this is a point-and-click adventure. It's not that gamey. I'm just talking. Nothing else to say? No, not really. I mean, I... No. I love the ridiculous set pieces, the situations you find yourself in, but it's all part of the journey, right? It's more about the journey than the the end goal it's about the writing you're right it doesn't do anything new but it doesn't need to yeah I don't know it's just funny I mean this is another game where I didn't know about it till you told me about it I, I got the sense that you were keener to play it than me oh yeah I was yeah but <laughs> did I enjoy it more than you in the end I don't know I did enjoy it I did enjoy it it's just not so what do I want to say that's very interesting. What do I want to say about Disco Elysium? I think when I say I played it like a point-and-click adventure, that is actually me holding it in high regard because I really miss point-and-click adventures and that atmosphere, that feeling, the event, that that adventure. Will you, will you accept that? Okay, I'll give you a B minus for your book report. Thank you. It's a passing grade. You can, you can be happy. So the next book club game is... Super Mario 3D All-Stars. It's like totally different to this game. So the plan is we're going to just play some of all three games. Yeah, because obviously this is actually three games. And we're not saying finish all three games. We're not even saying 
finish any particular one of the games. We're just saying we're going to play some of 3D All-Stars and then we're going to talk a bit about 3D All-Stars. Because we may have finished... We may have finished these in the past. Well, I mean, I finished all of them in the past. But it's just a question of whether I remember it or not. (laughs) This is an opportunity for me to figure out whether my irrational love of Super Mario 64 is just all rose-tinted glasses and whether Sunshine is actually any good. Because it's the one I remember the least. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club on twitter at lostlevelsclub on twitch as lostlevelsclub anywhere else reddit slash r slash lostlevelsclub so michael what are you grateful for today i am grateful that we got a review on itunes thanks to tenfields for the review So Michael says bye. Bye Bye-bye.